You're listening to Your Rivers Are Wrong, the podcast. Good morning and welcome back everyone to the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast where we stand at the crossroads of world building and storytelling and talk about it just a wow. bit. I'm I'm one of your hosts. How my name is Dante. That was a good that was a good start. That was a good yeah, try. Yeah, right? it was a great start. And I'm the other host and my name is Marilyn. Awesome. And we're going to spend today talking about the things we have noticed or realized about the world of world building and storytelling and how we can share these stories and break down exactly what makes them tick. Now, I got to step into this episode with the context and we could totally play this off and not talk about it at all. But I really do want to bring it up because <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. we, uh, we have webcams on and we can tell more, most obviously. What on earth do you mean that? Um, that both of us just woke up like 20 yeah. minutes ago, 20, Even 30 though minutes we're seven ago. hours apart. It's the truth. <laughs> we're absolutely professionals and this is a professional podcast. Yes. We are ready for everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? This is episode 43. Wow. We're getting pretty deep, which is really exciting. Yeah. When we're recording this, actually, the first episode of the podcast will drop, which we recorded way back before Christmas, I think. Yeah. We did some good prep for this season. Unlike, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> we tried to get four days before and then it's like, hey, we still need to edit this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves. So, which is uh, good. Which is good. We'll see yeah. how, how far it gets us. As we're stepping into 2023. We're making sure we get things done on time. So uh, any updates, anything you want to tell the audience about before we step into our first topic? I do have some things I want to bring up of recent please, events, but please do. I'm going to link it into our actual topic. Oh, OK. So. OK. I don't think I have any any general stuff. I made some really good noodles yesterday and I'm... <laughs> I know this is probably not important enough for like the first, no, first no, things in the podcast, but honestly, I can't stop thinking about them because they were so good. <laughs> and I was so proud of myself because I, I was eating pretty badly like last week, like a pretty chaotic and stuff. Amazing, and usually amazing. I do like, I make like a big batch of it and then I have like food for half a week, right? Because I'm just cooking for myself. Yes, and yes. And this one was so good. And the second I'm day following. was even better. And the third day was even better. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I got it. Wow, I'm stepping up my game here. So I just wanted to share my achievement of leveling up my food game for the past few days. I think that was that was a necessary update. You're actively improving on a day-to-day basis on this specific meal. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing here? That no, you're I like... mean, well, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but what it is, is like some foods, because then they simmer for a day, they get better because all the flavors get like mixed up more than when, mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. when you eat it right out of, out of the pan, basically. And that's what yeah. happened with this meal. And usually it gets worse the second day, <laughs> like a little bit more mushy. <laughs> But this one was really good the second day. And I was like, wow, I should. This is great. Listen, these are the hard topics. I don't know if I'm selling this, but it was really good. We bring the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast. Obviously. Yes. Please move on. I guess uh, tangentially, um, because I I can bounce off of that. I can work with that. My coworkers uh, are so invested in a Netflix series called Singles Inferno, which is what you would expect. It's like a a survivor. Yeah. Like a reality thing? Sort of reality dating show. Everybody's stuck on an island and stuff. And on the first episode, which is the only episode I've watched so far, there's one guy who knows how to cook, which is very useful on an island where clearly (laughs) nobody else knows how to cook. Fair enough. Which means that I'm rooting for him because he seems capable and uh, helpful and is doing his best to make sure everybody lives. he has actual real life skills as well instead of just (laughs) like being... 
like edgy yeah. and epic kid survivor. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I can spoil this because this is this actually sure. is pretty, pretty darn interesting. And I'll, I can also tie this into the topic. We're Please. Talking about I'm all I'm all ears. On the first episode, the one that he cooked on, he got zero votes from any of the other contestants as like a desirable candidate for dating. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, because this is also dating. Right. But do you vote people out as well? Or is it just voting for who you want to date? You send people an anonymous letter telling them that, hey, you, I'm interested in you. It kind of tells them their value or worth on this island. But it's as not a like every episode someone leaves. No, it's not. They just, okay. just sit there for like 10 episodes. Okay, okay. No one so knows. This, this guy <laughs> who did so much got zero votes and I was furious. I'm like, all <laughs> yeah, of you would imagine. be starving right now yeah, if that it wasn't for him. Why does nobody value that? Why does no one appreciate the cook? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'm going to continue this series, but <laughs> it's what my coworkers you sound pretty about, invested, I cannot avoid it. You know, didn't you have to like figure out like six episode before like a finale for for this week or next week or something? What did you say about this? Like you had to watch right? What's that? This thing? Yes, yes, yes. It was this. I was supposed hmm. to watch all ten episodes before the finale that is airing today, uh, and I didn't. I watched one episode. Well, I guess we can just skip this podcast. You, you know, if you just start now, I think you might make it. I got a couple episodes queued up if you want to share. So we could get to episode two. Lovely. Um, but uh, for the rest of you, we should probably continue this podcast. Uh, this okay. leads very, very, very well into my topic for today. Uh, I did notice a little bit of a trend, Marla. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, the first episode was introductions. The second mm-hmm. episode was immersion. And I'm like, is this an I theme? Is there an I theme going on? For this oh, series. Are you so, manifesting that theme now? I'm I think you are. manifesting it right now. The this topic. This is the bridge we're in. I'm feeling it. <laughs> and I led you right to that bridge to the point that you already said the topic. Uh, today, we're going to talk about investment. Character wow. investment. Investment. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's, a, that's yeah, you're you're continuing the line here. I, I like it. And for people who don't know about this podcast, this is not a financial podcast. We're not going to talk about how you can manage no, your stocks. Please. Not that kind of investment today, no. very specifically. I want to talk about character investment. And the two sides of this conversation that often pertain to us in our a bit unique situation, uh, investment in a character as a reader or watcher of a story and investment in a character as a player or game master in a tabletop setting. Mm. And how we navigate that, how we recognize it and bring it up and set it up so that people can be properly invested in characters. I kind of want to pinpoint what makes these characters worth investing their time and energy into to foster more compelling narratives and recognize it when it happens. So, besides being invested in the cook on a dating show. (laughs) Uh, It all ties back. It all ties back. I like it. I want to talk about a different character because I can only talk about okay. that character for all of like 10 seconds. <laughs> sure. You need some more education on that one. Like there's more episodes yes, yes. before we can talk uh, about Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly keep you updated on the state of the cook <laughs> in Singles Inferno. I want to hear an update next week. Yes, please. If you don't want to be spoiled, uh, you have you have two weeks until this episode airs. So <laughs> you better, better keep up. Um, so I want to pull from something we recently watched. We mentioned it before on probably episode one. One of our goals this year was to familiarize ourselves with more classic movies. Mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. this past week, Marilyn and I watched The Princess Bride for the first time, a movie from 1987, much beloved and recommended. And by the end of it, we both clearly had a favorite character. <laughs> so did I pick this topic just to talk about this specific character? Maybe. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Let's start by discussing, because we're starting nine minutes in. Let's start by discussing why were we so invested in Inigo Montoya? 
Uh, and do you have any thoughts on why he in particular was worth our attention? How did we get to that point? Okay. I want your first thoughts on that. I feel like you can't talk about Inigo Montoya without talking about sort of the honor thing in it. Like, okay, mm. so he hates... Should we talk about like what the plot is? I don't know if it really matters. I just want to talk about Inigo it. Montoya. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so if there's anyone who doesn't want to be spoiled about a movie from 1987. It's really good though. You should actually watch it, but I don't think you'll, you're you yeah. going to hate us if you already know a little bit about it. You can skip ahead, I guess, 10 minutes. It's not we like the movie is then. stupid if you know all the plot twists. That's true. <laughs> there's it, not it a really lot of them. <laughs> I, we could just talk about his character motivations and not talk about how it, how it ended. I mean, that's perfectly fine. Sure, right? I'll take cool. it. Yeah. All right. Okay. I feel like the first thing you got to talk about is the honor, the theme of <laughs> honor in Inigo Montoya. Like, Okay, he wants revenge for, what was it, for, like, somebody killing his dad? Okay. Yes. Aside from, you know, that he wants to kill the, the person that did it, which is maybe less ethically good, but still, he does it in a sort of honorable way. It's a revenge thing. His main goal, basically, is just to find this person and kill him. And then in every instance of where we actually see Inigo Montoya on the screen, interacting with people, interacting with thugs, interacting with our very handsome blonde-haired, Zorro-like <laughs> outfitted uh, main character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He is technically the enemy in one of the very longest sword fighting scenes I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> like, they're against each other, but they're doing it in such a friendly, interesting, honorable way. It's more like, <laughs> let's play this game, shall we? And then they do right. it. Like, to the death, kind of. They do want to, like, hurt each other, I guess, or how do you say it? Like, keep each other from moving forward or winning. But they do it in a very honorable, we both know the rules of this thing. And I think that's right. what's really likable about it. That's the first thing that came to mind. And also, it's a great actor. And I realized after watching it that I love this actor in so many other stuff. And I, I didn't realize <laughs> it was him. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin, who is amazing yes. in every way. That scene that sets him up is pitched at the start as a villain or working for a villain. Yeah. And even in that situation, when he is tasked to kill somebody in pursuit of main character girl, he presents <laughs> himself in a way that is like, I don't really want to kill you. My job is to kill you. And I'll make yeah, sure I'm that when I kill job. you. Yeah, yeah, I'll just make sure when I kill you, it is in a way that is honorable and a way that I want to. Mm -hmm. which is on a fair ground, fair fight. You have your weapon. I have a weapon. And we just battle with our own talents. Let's get at right? it. Yeah. To the point that he's like lifting the chaser like off of a cliff to make sure that he can ha stand on solid ground and rest before the fight happens. There's yeah. clearly no haste to this fight. Which is so nice of him. Yeah. In the circumstance. <laughs> right. And in this story that follows this character in pursuit, Dread Pirate Robert, this character is intriguing. He's just he just comes out of nowhere and is just like, let's give the main character a fair fight. And is equally as talented, if not a little less so, obviously, to highlight the main character. That's a side yeah. character's job. But also, we just kind of watch him tell a story while he's sword fighting. Like, we learn more about the story mm. through his own insights, through his own motivations. And <laughs> it's it kind was... of like a meet cute. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. You know, a classic sword fight meet cute, you know, yeah. in every. <laughs> I mean, isn't it though? Like, like it, we don't know anything about Inigo Montoya before the sword fight. And then, you know, he kind of chit chats on as the sword fight to the supposedly death. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite moments in that fight was like after he pulls the main character up from the cliff, he's like, if you need to rest, just rest. Like, sit down. Yeah. Relax. And once moment, you're ready, you 
once you're ready, we'll fight to the death. And yeah. it's just like, oh, who is? That's so nice. It's so the audacity. I mean, plot twist, I guess. He turns out, or he ends up, I guess, on the good guy's side, right? Inigo Montoya. But Was that really a plot twist? Or is it like I mean, something for No, he's too nice. Yeah. yeah. Also, we love him too much, so he should be on the good side. I like this yeah, yeah, for yeah. the movie. But even if he wasn't, like, even if Inigo Montoya would be the villain for the entirety of the movie, mm-hmm. then still it would be so lovely because no villain is ever fair like what does a fair villain look like is that a villain like can you be a villain and still be fair i guess inigo montoya was doing it in the sword fighting scene and then you know plot happens and things happen and then he came over to the good side but (laughs) but still like i i like that as an idea in general and i think this is the perfect example of it yeah i think when it comes to emotionally investing in a character in a story right what inigo montoya does really well is that he's respectable. He's not somebody you want to root against. He's not a character that makes no sense, so to speak. I mean, it is a bit weird what he's doing, right? But him <laughs> as a concept, his as a being, like he clearly has good motivations in that he wants to chase down the person who killed his dad. He clearly has respect <laughs> for the people around him. Like he's not he's not sure, like, yeah. underhanded or dirty. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Once you realize that this is a character that like has values and morals and ideals and is willing to stand by them, then you can start to look at him and see like, is this a character worth rooting for? And that's kind of where mm. uh, that's kind of where investment starts. Are you sympathetic with the character? When you're sympathetic with a character, it's easier for to root for them. When you understand where they're coming from, sure, yeah, uh, whether sympathetic or empathetic, this man is clearly mourning the loss of a loved one and wants revenge. We can get that feeling. That makes sense. Mm. I personally can't empathize with somebody (laughs) killing my father in a sword fight, but I can certainly understand the (laughs) feeling of loss. And to (laughs) to in this day and age, in 2023, I don't uh, know what happened to your dad. You know, I don't think you ever talked about him. So (laughs) I will never know if you don't. So the the idea of um, a character being someone you can relate to is a big deal in the character investment. And as wild as Inigo Montoya's story is. We can find that uh, shared point in understanding the feeling of loss. And therefore, mm. we step into the mindset of like, is this a character I care about? Is the fate of this character something that I want to see through? Mm. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. And specifically because <laughs> the way at least I experienced this movie, The Princess Bride, it was sort of like, I was kind of looking at it not being super invested in the characters, right? Because it. It's kind of your most average medieval fantasy setting you can think of, <laughs> right? There's a princess, basically. I don't even know if she's a... Was she a princess? Well, basically a girl eventually. character, yeah. a damsel character, she's, whatever that means. She's the girl Merla, character, Merla, you know what I mean? Merla. She's the princess bride. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that's in the, the title. name of the series. <laughs> wow. Look, okay, so that's how invested I was. I didn't even <laughs> remember that it's literally the title. Yeah, title character. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> but but I just want to say that compared to the other characters in here, there are more that are really likable or quirky likable in a way. But I think Inigo Montoya really is more like that you honestly start liking him instead of that you kind of go with it because the movie goes with it. Right. Because the movie is pretty like quirky and humorous at a lot of times, right? Which is great. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But that also means that sometimes you're more out of it than what might happen when the movie was more of a dramatic genre, I guess. And I think because Inigo Montoya is one of the characters that is more, I guess, honest about things in a way. Like, he's not as quirky as some of the other characters. He's funny. Like, in situations, sure. he's great. 
But also, I remember that one scene where he chases the guy down through the castle with the, like six fingers, I think, and then he goes pretty crazy because that's the guy that spoiler killed that's his dad. Killed his dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember that I was surprised how invested I was because Inigo Montoya was so invested in it. You know what I mean? Right, right. And with other places in the movie, like I don't know when they escape the jungle or when the the guy is in the dungeon place being like tortured and stuff i was still kind mm -hmm. of going with it for the movie and i don't think that, that was happening with inigo montoya which is great and i think that's also yeah. why it's my favorite he definitely sold the setting and the con and the concept yeah. of the story it was super yeah. convincible convinced convincible convincing convincing, convincing. yes <laughs> convincible <laughs> english <Nice>. cool <laughs> yeah yeah, it's always so great when there's a character that's simply logical, right? That understands mm. the situation they're in and takes logical, reasonable steps to like resolve it. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when a character is pitched to us, we can't get behind them because they simply make illogical decisions. Like many rom-coms that I cannot sure, yeah. find myself <laughs> invested in because characters just make this these ridiculous assumptions and decisions that are impossible to root for because they're not they don't make sense. They're not they're not logical. But Inigo Montoya in this ridiculous story, and truly <laughs> It's pretty ridiculous, yep. Which had to be some sort of satire, this whole medieval fantasy. He seemed like a real human being who was trying yeah. to resolve a real human problem. And like there was that scene where he was like banging on the door trying to get through and you could feel yeah. his frustration in the moment. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah, that was maybe my favorite part. Yeah, I'm that's like, exactly dude, this what I meant. Yeah. This is the comedy. You have no right being so You have so no right pulling at my heartstrings. How dare you, Mandy <laughs> How dare Petit you? Kid? How dare you, Inigo Montoya? And that's that's what I feel like. That's where I feel like character investment starts with. The character has to be logical. They have to be uh, relatable. And they have to be someone you can sympathize for. Because mm. if they don't have those, they don't satisfy the qualifications of being a human being. Yeah. You know? And specifically in a movie surroundings, or in this case a movie, but like the setting or the you know, everything else but the character. Um, right. If that is, has a specific tone to it, and then you break that tone by a more human approach to things, I think that's a more general way of doing it also. It reminds me a little bit of some parts in Critical Role where suddenly they can turn from like very quirky and funky and just fucking around with their friends to like a very <laughs> serious dramatic scene. And you're like, oh shit, oh shit, things are real now. Oh shit. You know, yeah. that's the same feeling, I think, when you're kind of unexpectedly pulled in. I guess you're just hanging out with the quirky side of the movie and then you're unexpectedly pulled in by the serious side and then then it's love. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not ready to be attached to a character. Yeah, that really does help, you. I feel. Yeah, or it does help yeah. sell it. And it, what do you call it? It ties into characters having depth being more than just a caricature mm. or a tool to progress the story forward. The more you can feel like this character can exist outside of this world as a functional being of society, the easier it is to invest in their fate, which kind of, just a little bit, leads into uh, the second half of this conversation. Mm. How do we work to design characters or foster characters in these tabletop settings that we play in to make them characters worth investing into. And I have a little bit of an anecdote here. Uh, just two days ago from this recording, I play uh, Sunday Nights with my friends, a D&D campaign that I've been running for a little over two years. And finally, Ooh, nice. after, after many reschedules, uh, this past weekend, they beat the final boss of their campaign. Oh, 
congrats. That's pretty good. They struck the final blow. They got their two phases of obstacles and they all got their kicker one-liners. Yeah. As like, I had these little monologues planned we out love for, because the, the bad guy's a talker, right? I had these little monologues planned out mm-hmm. to tap into their backstories and really press them on, on their identity like mid-fight and they always got a chance to retort. But that fight resolved and it was. I played the happy music and I was like, okay, guys, we're meeting again in two weeks. And that will be our last session. And immediately we started discussing how we would miss this motley group of characters. So as game masters and players in this tabletop setting where we where we basically write stories on the spot, how do we get to that point? To the point of investment in the characters that we create and create stories where they can grow and thrive. How do we get to a point in that we miss them, these fictional (laughs) characters, when they're gone? How do we foster character investment? And I want to start it off this conversation by saying that it starts from the very beginning. Like how you kick off this story is really, really very important, right? We tell people who bring characters to a tabletop setting that they have to have a backstory. What defines their character? What they've already gone through prior to the story happening, right? From a game master's perspective, someone who's basically writing most of the story or most of the scenarios in the story Mm-hmm. It is so, so important to give weight to that backstory, that it's not just the context of who they are now, it is also going to be context for what they run into in the future. As a story progresses, it's very, very important that what has turned them into the person they are today is still relevant moving forward. So if they've gone through any strife, if they've gone through war, if they've gone through heartbreak, if they've gone through loss, that is a point of realism for that character, hmm. a way to turn that character more real or make them something worth investing into is to continue pressing that point and let them express how that has changed them, that has shaped them, and how that shapes the decisions they make at Mm. the present. And it also, I think, functions as a sort of timeline, right? A sort of anchor. Because if, you know, after an in-game, a year of traveling with these people, uh, suddenly the reminder of a lost one causes a really different reaction in them, it also Mm. means they have changed a lot. Not that this, this is like a hate, Let's check in and hit them over the head with the reminder of the loved one again. Let's see how they're doing now. You know, that shouldn't be it. But Mm -hmm. the fact that over time, they as a character ideally change or grow and develop in different areas, maybe find, you know, a different emotional response to things also means that in comparison to things that happened previously, they have a different attitude. And that that is really a visible or I guess quite literal direct way of touching that change that happened in their character and seeing it play out in front of you. Like when when a character would previously be, I don't know, super angry all the time or very easily like ticked off and then suddenly fly into rage. If then at some moment a situation occurs where everyone knows, oh, this can be it. They're going to go off. This is going to get real bad real soon. Mm -hmm. And they don't. And then they find the constraint within themselves because for some reason they changed or they have, uh, you know, this is important enough to them that they want to maintain a diplomatic position, whatever. It's really meaningful because you know that the previous versions of this situation would have completely been like fight to the death. Exactly. Oftentimes when we create characters at a table, we try to tap into an aesthetic, right? We kind of paint our character into this, uh, as you said before, some characters start off as a caricature. Like they have two very strong emotions. Right. Two yeah. or three very strong <laughs> like aesthetic, <laughs> aesthetic beats. Uh, and if that character stays a caricature for the rest of the campaign, it's very hard to treat them as a human being or somebody who lives and breathes. Uh, I, and I look towards the Princess Bride and I, I, wanna, I keep tying back because Nigel Montoya is such a great character. He starts off as a caricature. 
noble fighter making almost unrealistic, unwise decisions in the yeah. pursuit of a fair fight, right? It, it's it's almost yeah. nonsensical. <laughs> but once you see him towards the end, slamming against that door, trying to pursue his revenge, and that happy-go-lucky demeanor breaks for pure frustration, you realize, oh, this character has depth. This character clearly yeah. wants something, needs something, perhaps. And I really want them to get there. And as a game master, to foster a world that allows those situations, that takes the backstory, grabs onto the most important points, and then builds a world to make sure those points are challenged or enhanced. Hmm. To feel that this character was shaped by the world they exist in. Right, yeah. And kind of behind the scenes, the world was shaped by the character. You, as a game master, you take the characters that you have in front of you and you say, what world would make them grow or challenge them? And what world would make them improve, force them to improve and decide their fates, so to speak? What pushes them to become these incredible people? How can mm-hmm. I build a world that does that? If you make, if you write like, if you're, if someone's like, oh, I'm going to play a clown this campaign, right? It's the most nonsensical thing. Sure. Your job as a game master is to make sure by session 20, he's no longer just a clown. Right. Or he's that, the best, most human or clown he's the, that we've ever <laughs> seen in any media, you know? Yeah, or everybody's <laughs> favorite clown, right? They're, That's they're, also what I wanted to say. Like, in the Inigo Montoya example, at the end, he's still the guy that wants revenge for the death of his father. And he's still, mm-hmm. you know, the guy with the quote-unquote funny Spanish accent because it's 1980-something. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's still pursuing that same goal. So, so the goal didn't change, I think, necessarily. Maybe it it grew larger or more complicated, which is fair, but it's still the same goal. Sometimes you would have to change the goal or you would find during the growth, the situations that you be in and the time you spend with each other, blah, blah, blah. Right. You find that you actually don't need to pursue this goal or you shouldn't because it won't help you in the the long run as a human being. But in the case of Inigo Montoya, he's still killing the guy that killed his father. Like (laughs) that's still on his his to-do list, you know, and at point one, I want to say, you know. But he's doing it in in a very real and sort of genuine way. We might not have like a father that was killed that we should take revenge <laughs> on, but we know what it's like to be so desperate that the physical boundary of a door will bring you to tears almost. That's yeah, something exactly. that you can relate to. And then suddenly that goal becomes so real that that sort of jump starts how human a character is, I guess, or how invested we can be in. So it can go yeah. both ways, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from the perspective of a player who's Trying to make a character for a new campaign who's stepping into somebody else's world, it's important to give your character foundational beliefs to say, these are the hills I'll die on, right? These are the truth, true and real things I believe to the at the bottom of my heart. I will stand by them no matter what. And those might be changed or challenged throughout the campaign, but giving your game master or, or the narrative of your story a foothold or something to grab onto and challenge is probably the greatest gift you can give them. If a player comes up to me and says, hey, I refuse to, we could start with something very simple in D&D, and this comes up all the time, I refuse to kill, right? I'm, I'm Batman, like the killing is not <laughs> in my mantra. Sure. And D&D is often a very violent game. It, it brings you to the point where you have to make that decision of, is this person something worth <laughs> eliminating? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, When brought to the situation of if you when you are confronted with the villain and they've done so many atrocious things, do you keep your creed in this moment? Mm. How much have you lost to get here? And is revenge the answer? And how much will you lose to stay with your own ideal? 
Yeah, exactly. Are your ideals worth keeping or is it necessary for them to change? Uh, Give your character these strong foundational points and define them so that your DM knows what to challenge you with. If you're like, eh, I'm wishy-washy, my character can do anything, be anywhere, whatever. (laughs) uh, a, A very, very good DM can work with that and help define those ideals across the campaign. But it's it's so much easier for them to be like, hey, I know you care about this. So this was made for you. It is your time to make a decision and your time to define who you are moving forward. And those are often the points where you learn to be very invested in your character's decision and where they go moving right. forward. I feel like we've been talking about DMs also quite a lot now. But as a player, mm-hmm. in the case of tabletop RPGs, you initiate your own character mostly so in a way you are the storyteller as well yes but once once your foundation is built as you say you kind of have to live through it because <laughs> that's the the point of an rpg game that you spend a lot of time in this character and through that you know hours of gameplay you find that development as you go that's quite unique in comparison to other media it's such an interactive kind of intuitive maybe process. And I think it's nice to talk also a little bit about that because that's a very different way of, I guess, being invested in a character, specifically because you made it yourself. Yeah. The realization that you decide every single one of this character's decisions is a step in the process of realizing that you are responsible for this character's growth, so to speak. Mm. You can keep them a caricature if that's what you really want. If that's if you, if that's your joy in this story to, you know, no yeah, harm could, in could that. Could be fun. Yeah, could be fun to to keep them to these foundations and truly keep them this static character in a dynamic story. If that if that is your role and that's what you feel is the best way to tell it, then so be it. But I feel like the investment will grow in this character if you start thinking in their headspace and being like, what would they do in this situation hmm. to, to humanize them and make sure they make decisions that are, as we said with the previous uh, previous half of this conversation, respectable, relatable and sympathetic. It's a conscious decision and you have you have to make it like multiple times throughout a session, multiple times throughout a campaign. And you make that decision often enough. You start getting into the character's headspace and realizing how they could exist as a proper human or a functioning being. Not necessarily <laughs> yeah, human, sure, actually, sure. In But yeah. I think that is such a fun journey and to the the satisfaction of getting to the end of, cam- of the campaign and realizing that you're going to properly miss this fictional character is is such a revelation and such uh we were pretty sad by the end of it. We were like this yeah. is going to, it is a wonderful story and we're happy to wrap it up because it has been 2 years going. I can imagine. Oh, that sounds so great. And I told I told them just to push the point. Listen, next session you guys are writing the epilogue. You tell me where your character goes in a week, a month, a year, and 10 years. And oh, the and yeah. the world will the, will be shaped by your decisions. That is simply Crazy. how this campaign ends. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be really fun. Did you play from level one to level 20 or what was the, what was the range? We started, yes, we started level one. And right oh. they're ending the campaign. The last fight was level 13. So. Oh, okay. They've been, they've been pushing good. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So great. Uh, this feeling is just great because you don't have it a lot. There's not a lot of campaigns ending all the time, you know? Oh, <laughs> that I don't really end would in... recommend everyone to feel this, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, mo- most campaigns end in, sorry, I'm moving to another state and I have a new job. Yeah. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Planning the so, true yeah. enemy of the yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, with that said, uh, I do want to step into our prompt for today. Yeah. Uh, for you, go. for something to improvise for yourself. And I, I'm not going to lie, I did take some inspiration from everything that I know of this topic and a little bit of you. Uh, I want <laughs> to see what you do with this with this um, 
interesting premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. I don't, I don't think many people have insights like you will. But anyway, for this prompt, we're talking about character investment. And sometimes, as we've noticed, the crowd favorite is neither of the main characters. So pitch me a story. I did write here love story, but it doesn't have to be. Mm, uh, okay, where okay. The, crowd, the crowd favorite is a florist that meets both main characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a florist. <laughs> That's great. Every character should be a florist. It's the best character trait. Okay. <laughs> Speaking from experience? <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. My humble, like, almost a year experience of being a, well, not even a florist, like, just ha- handling a shop and then making... <laughs> anyway. Okay, okay so, so again. what are we talking here? We're talking two main characters are supposed to be the love interests, I assume. They're supposed to be the main characters. Yeah. But love they story, have, right? They, yeah, we could do that. Don't yeah, have I, to. Okay. We'll I see where it ends story, up, but let's but, start yeah. this as a, like, this is supposed to be a love story. Mm-hmm. And then a third character comes along who's a florist that we actually fall in love with as the audience. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me think. Okay. It's like late summer-ish and we're in a sort of... Yeah, yeah. I, I want to like try to set this up. I'm, I'm feeling it. Usually I'm, I'm just it. like, well, I guess this happens and I guess then this person comes along. I don't know. Set the scene. Paint, paint a picture for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. It's, it's coming along right now. It's late summer. This is like oh, I'm sorry. I have to premise. We're improvised. This is an improvised book. Uh, oh yeah, this is not yeah. a script. Yeah, we're not reading off the page. Don't judge page me, here. please. Don't off the cuff. Okay, go ahead. I, I will judge myself. Don't worry. Sorry. Okay. Late summer. It's late summer. Late summer. There we go. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. We are in a smaller town, a village somewhere in the outskirts of like a bigger country. This is a place full of meadows small roads, lots of people traveling by, but never stopping. But there's some people that live here. This is a small, humble town. What they actually are famous for is their late summer celebration. I guess the end of the summer festival. And um, that is happening today. And this festival is kind of inspired by the medieval knights thing that you showed me where a bunch of guys like (laughs) ride on horses and like break lances for the medieval times for people on the northeast. (laughs) I didn't know what this is, but it was (laughs) lovely. Yeah, please look it up. So this is a sort of, you know, brand fair, but then sort of also half not. It's also like a fruit market. And, you know, there's some people throwing darts and winning prizes. It's, It's a kind of fun fair kind of idea. Then I think for the main, the main celebration is basically people bring out their favorite dishes and whoever wins the best dish is basically the queen or the king of the summer celebration. Got it. I'm following. I'm following. Yes. So one of the people that is part of the organization of this festival is, um, let me see. Well, just call her Flora because I'm inspired. <laughs> she's called Flora and she's sure. a florist. She's oh the florist gosh, of the perfect. town. A lot of people love her. She has the smallest shop you've ever seen. Like, there's not so many people that that you can fix, like, a full-size florist shop in this town. But she's doing her best. She's, she's making, like, the small bouquet. She's selling plants. And she's very excited about it. And very lovely. Flora is one of the most excited people about this festival ever. Because she loves <laughs> summer. She loves flowers. And whenever there's a celebration, there needs to be decorations. And she's on it. Let's go. Everyone loves her for it. But she's by far the most excited about the organization. <laughs> I guess the butcher is also in the organization because he wants to sell his stuff, but he's more of the numbers. And then Flora is like, but does it capture the spirit of late summer festival? You know, <laughs> this is Flora. I see. I see. And then I guess, uh, let me see. 
the two main characters both mm-hmm. come in for, you know, the crown of the summer celebration. Of course, and of course. And I think now that I've named Flora, I should probably also name the other ones, but I'm so uninspired. <laughs> give me give me some names, Dante. You do it. Um, all right, all right. Um, the, the guy is uh, Timothy. 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 Timothy, if you want if okay. you want a nickname, uh Moth is his nickname. Is <gasps> That's nickname? cool. Moth. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh and then and then the the girl is named um dang it, I keep thinking of Flora. Flora's not the main <laughs> character. Gosh. I, this this would be a fantastic if someone could make a pun off of Moth. Uh this yeah. it, it would it would be amazing here. We're we're working with it. Names that have the word uh flame, fire, um like <laughs> we could be really dumb and say fire. Fyra. <laughs> I mean, we have Flora already. I literally don't care. No, Let's okay. go. Let's go. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Timothy, Timothy alias Moth, and Fyra. Fyra sounds like a main character name. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. Yeah. This is why cool, she is cool. the main character because she's yeah. literally have that name. Story. Her parents were the, like, you know, I want yeah. her to be real important, so that's just name of Fyra. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Timothy is, you know, a young man, a handsome young fella, naturally, who is, in comparison to the very happy-go-lucky people of this festival this is a long prompt <laughs> no we're going for it to the happy-go-lucky people that mostly live in this town timothy is a bit more edgy you know he likes summer but he's also timothy likes to think about life in his room you know and <laughs> philosopher sleep under the stars and be like pretty edgy about it he finds himself <laughs> quite important and thinks the world is a serious place that we should all be very serious about because it's mm, an important right. thing to talk about even right. in the late summer festival so his mom said, okay, maybe, you know, you should go out a little bit more. I know that you, you're you fine and, you know, you enjoy what you're doing now, but, you know, there's so many beautiful, lovely people out there and I feel like you never really visit them. So why don't you just make, just bake something for the festival? You know, no stakes. If you win, it's great. If you don't win, it's also fine. Nobody will remember you. It's fine. And just take part in life a little bit more, young man. And he's like, well, I don't really want to, but okay. He's nice enough that he will do this for his mom and then hopefully she will like... Stop bugging him about it. So I guess according to his beautiful nickname, Moth, he's going to make a very edgy cake, right? (laughs) Like dark chocolate, super like shiny and stuff. He's pretty good at it. I think maybe this is also the cook from the reality show. Like he he got the cook vibes. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got that hidden talent. I see it. His cake's pretty good, but it's also pretty dark. And then on the other hand, what's what was her name again? Fyra. 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 We have Fyra, who just came into town. Is oh, from classic. far, far away. Has no idea what's going on. But what she a loves this name, festival. Fyra. Yeah, it's so, a unique like name. A... Everyone tells mm-hmm. her that all the time because they're not used to anything in this town except for a moth, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> unique, honestly. Let's put it that way. Fyra comes into town. She's traveling. She's a sort of happy-go-lucky, like she's a sort of camper girl that just travels the world and just she has like a tiny dog that just necessary. <laughs> Who is her Relat- best friend? Relatable. Hangs out. Yeah. <laughs> She's so great. She loves these people. Uh, she loves this town. She had never heard about it in her life, but, you know, kind of stumbles across this festival and she's super enjoying her time there. Got it. I guess she comes into town like maybe half a day before the actual official opening of this thing, right? So she sees Flora like run about like her life depends on it with like hands full of roses and flowers and, mm. you know, well, what are other flowers in English? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lilies, Lilacs, all the stuff. Tulips, you know? Yeah. I know the Dutch words. I don't know the English flower names. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, you can name them whatever you want. This is the fantasy story. I name can tell them whatever you want. Yeah. So she's running about with like arms full. Everything. Got it. She's going to put it up so nicely. She has like these arches going on. She has mm. uh, <laughs> like big flower pots full of all kinds of flowers in all kinds of colors. 
and everywhere it smells lovely. Fire comes into town and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? What's going on? Uh, and Flora tells her that the festival is going on and that she should right. definitely partake in the cake contest because it's the most important thing every year in her life. And, you know, she's very serious about this. So Fyra's like, okay, sure, I'll bake a cake, but I really can't bake though. Usually I just burn everything. <laughs> I, I leave it too long and then uh, it comes out black and then I have to like scrape off the black part and then there's very little cake left, you know? Mm. And Flora's like, don't worry, I got you covered. There's this lovely lady in town that has like a very big oven and a very talented son who bakes a lot of pies, even uh. though he never shares them with us because he's edgy like that. Mm. So you should just go over there, have some fun, explore the people and get to know them and then you can you know, partake in the pie contest. Got it, got it. Sure. So <laughs> I'm like, am I still going anywhere? Yeah, I'm still going anywhere. So, you know, fire I'm I not, just happily I'm not going to tell over. you to stop. I'm not going to tell you to stop. You can stop whenever you want to. Yeah, I will. It's still, you know, the prompt is it's not still fulfilled cooking. yet. <laughs> it's still cooking. Let's maybe like make this a bit more efficient. She meets Timothy, who is um, just finishing his own cake with like, the precision of like a knife maker, like a swordsman, like finishing his <laughs> his craft. He's very serious about things, including the precision of a knife maker, not a knife wielder, a knife nope. maker. <laughs> yes, that's what okay. I said. I'll, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Long story short, they both make a lovely cake. Timothy's is good, but very edgy and dark. Fire's cake is a little bit like less edgy because she's just not so good at pie making it smells a little bit weird when it comes out of the oven and she's like okay it's it tastes great and it looks pretty so i guess it's okay they have a little bit of like an introduction to each other and they're yeah, kind of, of course, like interesting of into each other and we're we're like okay they're definitely gonna end up together this is the purpose of the cake making right, right montage that we're doing here and then we skip to the actual celebration where right before they introduce their cakes to Flora, who's also part of the organization because she's part of every everything's organization sure, ever. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, so they bring over their cakes and Flora's like, wow, guys, I love it so much. You did so much effort and it's so great. And she's giving them like the biggest hug. She's so excited that people are like Aww. super into this for once because usually the cake baking is more like Granny Next Door always makes her orange cake and then, you know, a few other people join. But they're, you know, it kind of depends on how invested eh, people mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. <laughs> to finish this contest. And now she has these two beautiful cakes. She's like looking into their eyes and getting her hand in a pocket of hers and then pulling out a handful of beautiful edible flowers. And then she puts a few of them on the dark cake that suddenly becomes very colorful and very lovely. Sure. And then she puts some of them that have the most lovely smell on the one Fyra was Fire. making. So you to, to and draw she completes the burning their sensation. cakes as if she's never done anything else in their life. And both of them kind of are surprised by her and weren't ready for her flexibility and her beautiful problem solving in terms right, of right. cake territory. So now maybe they're not, you know, Flora's pretty cool is kind of the, <laughs> um, the end of this. <laughs> I, I think this is the this is the point where like they're reaching a point where they're not agreeing with each other. There's that climax of like an argument. Like, listen, yeah. your cake is your cake is not good. It's very sad. It's not mm -hmm. it's not bright. And it's like your cake tastes bad, the cake I think. Uh, and then Flora is the kind of person who comes out of nowhere and is just like, listen, your cakes just need a little bit of each other. A little bit of love. Yeah, a little bit of, mm -hmm. a little bit of, mm -hmm. a little, I feel like she would like give them the edible flowers and they yeah, yeah, would yeah. like touch up each other's cakes and like, you know. Oh, yeah. Really, really, really marry she their She facilitates. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. it is. Ta-da! And the story ends and the couple kisses and we never get resolution for Flora. Uh, like every unhappiness. piece of media where you actually yeah. want the other characters more. Yeah. I'm sold. Uh, I'm invested. 
tell me more about Flora. I'm ready Nailed to see it. what else she does because she's clearly capable and she's so capable. <laughs> more fun. She more runs this town up. by her own, baby. Yeah. This she's is Flora's town. <laughs> the title of this movie, Flora's Town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Anyway, that's go. all that's all the time we have today. Uh thank you so that's much. That's more for that. than the time we have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for that answer to the prompt. And we will be back next week. Marilyn will be coasting episode 44. Yeah. Super duper exciting. Well, I'm getting ready for that. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the movies that we watch. Um, <laughs> oh, if yeah. I continue to watch Singles Inferno and other Please update wonderful... me about like whoever is dating whoever. I like I don't want to watch this, but I just want to like hear your you, opinions. You'll hear my frustrations. Yes. About Please share them with me. Frustratingly beautiful people making <laughs> bad decisions. Uh, As you do. Every <laughs> reality show. There you go. Uh, and if that's not a story, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> join us next time as we world build and storytell. And as you create these worlds of your own and tap into the endless expanse of your own imagination. Always, always remember just one fact of life. One simple rule. Hmm. It can't be changed. Which is, your rivers are wrong. Yeah, they're pretty wrong. We'll talk Sorry. about maybe next time. Maybe. Have a good one. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Goodbye. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. I think we need sleep. Have a good uh, one. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Rivers Are Wrong. If you have ideas for topics, prompts, or you just want to share your thoughts, please reach us at yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. That's yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Also, a big thanks to Maarten Schellekens, who created the intro and outro music for our podcast. And most importantly, thank you for listening. We hope to see you at the next one. Bye.